It's been a journey in 2019 on some level. We have been going through the book of Romans. We finished verses uh, or chapters 1 through 8, and that wasn't just 2019, but that was 2018 as well. But in 2019, we finished up Romans 1 through 8, and then I gave you a few sermons this summer on the book of Proverbs, from the book of Proverbs, and encouraged the church to read the book of Proverbs. I hope that you did some of that. That's being hopeful, but nevertheless, the book of Romans, which we will return to in 2020, the book of Romans and the book of Proverbs, are like, they're, like, they're, they're two major works in the Bible. And so it would, we would do well, one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament, we would do well to own those books, to make them a part of our lives, and to not lose sight of them. Uh, and since I've been through, uh, through at least touched upon Proverbs a number of weeks in the, in the book of Proverbs. Once again, I want to move into, I believe I'm, I'm supposed to move into the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a long time since I've been in Ecclesiastes. A very long time. Once again, I say, because I was in there, or in that book, 11 years ago. Almost 11 years ago. How many of you were here 11 years ago? There's some of you, right? I know, some of you. Uh, I hope that the words that I speak will not, you know, be a complete repeat. I, I hope to add, add to that. You may have remembered my sermon so well. You, know, you may have it all posted. You might be one of those persons who puts my sermons on your refrigerator and then looks at them every, you know, like on a daily basis because they are, you know, speak to you, but probably not. And so I suspect that many of you, if not most of you, uh, that, that what I have to say about Ecclesiastes will be new. I will be in Ecclesiastes for quite some time. Um, I preached 10 sermons from Ecclesiastes 11 years ago. That's about how many I'll be giving this time. Okay. There's so much to say. I don't even there's just so much in there. It's such a such a big book. I've got to I've got to do that. But before I get into Ecclesiastes proper and I and I hope that the people who have used my bookmarks will forgive me this week because the text I'm using the stuff I gave last week is really, really going to end up being for next week because as I went to Ecclesiastes, I realized I need to give an, a sermon that's kind of, that's an opening sermon, an opening message for Ecclesiastes. That's, that's the way I look at it, okay? So, um, when we begin to look at Ecclesiastes, we see that as Christians, that we have all kinds of riches. Uh, the subject of riches is a big one. I've given a couple of sermons out of Proverbs on riches and wealth and money and this kind of thing. And when we think about riches, we normally think, most people think of material things, material, you know, uh, material riches. And, and of course, many churches talk about material riches in, this, in terms of the fact that we should be materially blessed if we're Christians. That comes from, from prosperity theology, which I do not subscribe to. I do not believe the, the Bible preaches that or teaches that. Uh, but it does teach that we are to be rich spiritually, rich in Jesus Christ. Um, and, and I want to, uh, want to put this up on the screen for you. An investigation into spiritual riches, and especially the means of attaining spiritual riches, will help us to understand and appreciate the value of Ecclesiastes. 
an investigation into spiritual riches, not material riches, but spiritual riches, and especially the means of attaining spiritual riches will help us understand and appreciate the value of Ecclesiastes. So let's talk about spiritual riches for a moment. Uh, there was a tax, tax, tax assessor who came to a poor pastor one day, and uh, he wanted to, of course, collect for the IRS. Uh, and uh, that the uh, tax collector said, well, hey, okay, uh, you may be poor, but you have something. So what do you possess? And the minister said, the pastor said, well, I'm actually very wealthy. I, I am a very wealthy individual. And so the tax collector said, hey, list your possessions. List your possessions. And the man of God, the pastor said, well, first, I have everlasting life. John 3, 16. That's, a, that's, that's you know, part of your one's riches, right? John 3.16. Second, I have a mansion in heaven. Now, those of us who've been on, thir on Thursday nights understand that maybe it's not quite what we think of in terms of a mansion, but that's a whole other issue. But, uh, but well, I do have a place in heaven. Third, I have a peace that passes understanding. That's Philippians 4.7. Fourth, I have joy unspeakable. I hope that you have joy unspeakable. 1 Peter 1.8. Fifth, I have divine love that never fails. 1 Corinthians 3, or 13, 8. Sixth, I have a faithful, pious wife. He did. Many of you do. I know I do. Uh, Proverbs 31, 10. Seventh, I have ha healthy, happy, obedient children. <laughs> obedient children. Yes, he's not even hearing me right now. But just, just saying. Okay. Uh, Exodus 30, verse 12. Eighth, I have true, loyal friends. Look at my friends right here. It's true. You are my friends. I, Amelia, what can I say? You know, I, I just, I delight to see you all the time. Proverbs 18, 24, true friends. Ninth, I have songs in the night. Psalm 42, 8. I, I don't know if you go to bed singing at night. I need to do more of that. Where it's like, oh, God, is so good. And maybe the hymn we just sang. Great is thy faithfulness. Just on my, I mean, those kinds of things are, make a difference in our lives. And then 10th, the last one, I have a crown of life awaiting, James 1.12. Well, the tax collector, you know, closed his book and said, wow, you really are a very rich man, but your property is not subject to taxation. And it's not, right? The things that we have as Christians, the spiritual wealth in Jesus Christ is not subject to taxation in this world. So I think that's something to think about, spiritual riches. I, I want to I move to... Uh, just in the beginning here, or early on, I want to move to Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to, you to see how important riches are to the Apostle Paul. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by Revelation. You see that I highlighted the word revelation because this is going to be a major part of this message. Revelation. Mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Think about that for a moment. There was something that happened in the age of the New Testament, in the age of the church, that had not been made known before. 
which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it now has been revealed, there's another, that word again, revelation or revealed, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit or by the Spirit. He goes on. This mystery, what is this mystery? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Think about that for a moment. What an incredible revelation for, for the world. And certainly for the Jewish people, something new has happened. Gentiles, Gentiles are part of the people of God. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. I think we're all Gentiles in here. Okay? Members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, you and me, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, Jesus was a poor man. He essentially walked this uh, world in rags. He was crucified on a cross. He was not a man of this world, although he came to our world. And yet, in Jesus, there is unsearchable riches every now and then paul kind of goes crazy when you read his letters and it's like I, I, you can tell he's just kind of going going nuts about how great it is to be in jesus christ and he's just absolutely thinking about how much he has and there's other t- places other places in the new testament i could go and paul just gets excited but but i'm going to leave it leave it at that I, I want you to understand this this morning i want to understand this without god's revelation we would have no riches in this life oh sure we could have material riches but in riches that are eternal, that are everlasting, riches that really matter, without God's revelation, we would have no riches in this life. See, my point today, and my, my, my hope today is that you begin to see how important the revelation of God in Jesus Christ is for us. It stands in contrast to the book of Ecclesiastes. Very important for us to understand. That statement right there is worth writing down. It's worth holding on to. I'm absolutely certain that we take revelation for granted. Now, God has many kinds of, uh, of, of, or many methods of granting us riches. Many methods. The least effective of these, I don't know if you've thought about this, but the least effective of these means or methods is our experience of the physical world. We experience the physical world through our senses, through seeing, through hearing, through smelling, touching, tasting, all the physical, sen- all the senses. And these are very, very good. But as we'll see in Ecclesiastes, this particular method of revelation is inadequate to satisfying our souls. It just isn't, it just isn't satisfying. I, it, always, it isn't satisfying. I, it always blows my mind that people don't come and be part of the church family and don't hear the word of God proclaimed in their lives. Because for some reason they think they have this idea that they're satisfied by being on the golf course, or out on the river fishing, or whatever it would be. The, 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 the physical world somehow they th- think that it draws them closer to God, and in some level it may, but the physical world will not tell you about redemption. And we all need redemption. Those of us who are on Thursday night, we know about that, right? What redemption is, being brought into the family of God. And the physical world will not tell you that. 
will not demonstrate that. It's, it witnesses to the beauty of God, uh, puts us on notice, but it doesn't satisfy our souls. Uh, there are other riches. There are other ways, I should say, there are other ways that God communicates to us, particularly as Christians. He grants us, number one here, he grants us riches through the community of the Christian faith, through the family of God. He gives us friendships based on faith, hope, and love. He gives us the grace of trusting his people. See, I hope that you trust me, and I trust you, and I hope we have this, this, this great grace in our relationship. That's one way he does, through the community of faith. He gives us riches through the worship experience, our music, our prayers, being here today together, um, just through the worship experience. We're going to have communion today. That's another one. God grants us riches through the sacraments. God communicates with us in a special way through the bread and the cup. He communicates with us through a special way in, this, in the sacrament of baptism. Uh, God reveals himself in this way. He reveals himself also, another way of revealing uh, himself and the riches that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit who speaks for the Father and for the Son and draws, our, uh, draws us to the Father and the Son. Through the Spirit, we hear the voice of Jesus. God breaks into our lives, this kind of revelation. So we need to realize this, that God is a gift giver. That's who he is. He's a gift giver. He wants you and I to be spiritually rich. Um, all these things that I've mentioned are means. They're methods of communication. That's another word for real revelation, particularly when we speak of God. Um, revelation is God's great means for granting us all we have in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you can read that up there. It might be a little too small for you. But this is what Tom, Thomas Oden said, who's a really wonderful theologian who I, I, I greatly respect. He writes this. He says, Revelation is, an, is any act by which God makes himself known in human history. He's focusing on human history here through particular events of nameable people, in order that humanity writ large may become more responsive to the disclosure of divine goodness, power, and love. When we read our Bibles, we are reading history as well as God's present activity. God, it speaks to what God's doing now, but it's about, it shows us historical events. Revelation after revelation. God's spoken to us in history. He goes on in this particular section in, in his book, which I would recommend to you if you wanted, if you're curious about it. But anyway, um, he goes on and he says this. This was so good, I just thought I had to write this. I had to put it on the screen for all of you. He goes on and says, something like revelation occurs in personal experience. Because it's not just, not just what happened in the past, but he's speaking today. Something like revelation occurs in personal experience when I see through a single experience the rest of my experience. You ever have those moments? When it's, like, when it's like all of a sudden, it's like, it's like an epiphany. That's another word for this. Is that all of a sudden you realize, whoa, 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 that's what this is about in my life. If we get some examples. When I caught on to the difference between a C and a G, that's supposed to be not God chord, it's supposed to be a G chord. That's okay. The guitar became understandable to me. Those who are involved in music, they kind of get that. If you're learning an instrument, I remember I used to play the French horn. Yeah, I was one of the French horn guys. It's like, 
it was not good for, I mean, it never got me a date. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this guy is a, well, I love the fr French horn players rule. So I'm not going to put him down. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, Rebecca, you and I, yes, we're connecting, you know. I love it. Okay. Uh, another one. When I learned to keep my eye on the ball, baseball became my game. I know someone who ha talks about a certain zone. And <laughs> right? And it's like, woohoo, baseball really, really came, came alive. When I fell in love, every aspect of my experience was impacted. Wow. When I left my hometown, its meaning to me became much more clearer, or much or more clearer. Um, there are personal experiences that we have that kind of give this new understanding, this new revelation. They give us an epiphany of what life is about. So it's not just history we're talking about, but it's a, it's a way God interacts with us today in our own lives. I hope that you see how important revelation is for, for satisfying our souls, for satisfying our lives. Um, Odin goes on to say that such occurrences in personal history are analogous to revelation in human history. So it's both. It's both. Okay, there's another one that I wanted to speak about because uh, I am a preacher. Okay? And this is so important as we look at our mission in the world. And it's preaching. Through the preaching of the wor word, revelation happens. Just imagine going to people who've never, ever heard the gospel. The world is full of people who've never heard the gospel. What a shame on us as Americans that we have the gospel so available to us and we just ignore it or we take it for granted. What a shame it is. L look at Paul's passion here in Romans 10. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they, uh, of whom they have never heard? There's people like that in our world. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, we talk a lot about doing the, you know, worship and new ways and so forth and new music and everything, and that's all good. That, the, the different way we package the, the worship services, that's okay. But we must stay with preaching. I'm not saying that just so, I, so that you continue to, you know, uh, keep, me on the, keep me on the job, right? Because I'm a preacher. But nevertheless, Paul says preaching is essential. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not, but they have, uh, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who, has Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the preaching of the word is a means of revelation, showing people who God is, what he's about. Uh, revelation. Without revelation, we have no riches. We just don't. So you know what? In Ecclesiastes, we enter into the world without revelation. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but, re but Ecclesiastes is the world of silence. Hard to take, isn't it? 
Ecclesiastes is the world of silence. Sure, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to speak to us because he has much to say, but it's, it comes from a place without God's revelation. It's the place of silence. I'm not going to say that God doesn't speak on some level because even his silence speaks to us. But Ecclesiastes is the world of silence. I cannot even begin to tell you how important it is. This basic principle is important to understanding the book of Revelation. And I can't, or the book of Ecclesiastes, and I can't begin to tell you how important it is for God to speak to us. Silence. Consider Ecclesiastes 1. First five words. The words of the preacher. No, not the word of the Lord came to Solomon. The words of the preacher. No, not thus saith the Lord. The words of the preacher. Silence. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Very different than the world of the church. You know, the greatest gift that we have is that God sent his son. We take this for granted too much. But God sent his son to us as the word. In the beginning was the word. That is what we need. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He goes on to tell us that that word is the person of Jesus Christ. When you get to verse 14 in chapter 1, the word comes and dwells among us. He lives with us. So the word is historically with us in the sense that Jesus came bodily. But you know what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God speaks to you and me. This is not the same thing that we find in the Old Testament. And it's certainly not the same thing that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are a rich people. Unfathomably rich because God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Now God spoke in the Old Testament in a variety of ways. But when God comes in the person of Jesus, it's, it's full on. It's an entirely different experience. It's a greater experience. It's, it's, it's just like, in fact, it is as though, in fact, it is that God actually enters into our time and space and he's walking among us and he's speaking to us. And remember what God says to, to uh, uh, Peter, James, and John when he's on the mountaintop at the transfiguration and in the Gospels? What does God say when, he, when, when Jesus is up there and he's all lit up? 
God says, listen to him. How are you doing with that? Are you listening to Jesus? I know many of you are. Do you realize what a gift it is for the God who is transcendent, the God who is outside of our world, to enter and become imminent, become into our world, and begin to speak to us? Do you realize what a gift that is? It's an incredible gift. Don't take it for granted. Pray. Be on your knees. Ask God to speak to you. Be in the Word of God. Be in the written Word as well as in the living Word of God. I'm just, this is so important because this is such a contrast to the book of Ecclesiastes, which we will enter into next time. I wanted to share with you something from Psalm 33, just the first 12 verses, because in Psalm 33, we get an appreciation for the Word of God, what the Word of God is like, and, and uh, the love that this psalmist has for the Word. Now, notice the first three verses here in Psalm 33. It begins this way, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous! Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. And he's going to. And, and if you were to uh, hear this or read this, and you were a good reader, and you asked good questions, you would simply ask this question right here: Why? Why should I shout for joy to the Lord? Why should that happen? Um, why should I praise God? Why? Why should I give thanks to God? Why should I sing to God? Uh, why should I do all these things? You, you're kind of like a little bit too enthusiastic, aren't you? Why should I do this? And the psalmist answers that question. Here's why we should praise God. The reason why we should pray God, praise God, you see that little word for there in verse 4? Is because the word of the Lord is upright. Just imagine if the word of God was twisted. If God was twisted. If God was not a good God, but God was only after his own ends. I don't think we'd be experiencing verses 1 through 3. The reason why we are to praise God is because the word of the Lord is upright and all his works is done in faithfulness. We sang about that today. He loves righteousness and justice. I hope this is satisfying you. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Why should we praise God? Because the word of the Lord is a good word. It's full of good character. God is full of good character. God is steadfast love. As we've talked to her many times, God is used, uh, the, the Hebrew word hesed, hesed actually is how it's pronounced, that word is about steadfast love and kindness. And that's who God is. The word of the Lord is upright. But he goes on. God's word is full of good character because God is full of good character. But there's another reason. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God is capable of doing things that you need in this life. He is powerful. He's not just good in character. He's also powerful to do what you need him to do. 
the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the, the deeps into storehouses. Just imagine if God was good but not able. You know, there's a lot of churches who believe that. They believe that because they, they see suffering and evil in the world, and they say, hey, you know, um, because there's suffering and evil in the world, we, you know, we still think God's good, but he's obviously not capable of handling my problems. He's not capable of handling the world's problems. We call that liberal theology. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God is powerful. He's able to do this. He's able to answer your issues, to deal with your issues. He's able to do that. And he goes on, but there's more. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. This is the appropriate response to God speaking to us. If God didn't speak to us, we wouldn't have any fear of him because we wouldn't even know he existed. We didn't know where he was, who he was, whatever. He wouldn't know any of these things. We wouldn't know any of this stuff. No, let all the earth, all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the, notice the inclusive scope includes everyone. Let all the inhabitants of the world, that's you and me, stand in awe of him. For he spoke revelation. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Notice that the people without God speak. They have their own revelation, but it's not worth anything. It's absent of meaning and purpose and ultimately, it's powerless. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. You and I need to go and seek out the counsel of God. Maybe you have, many of us have questions. What am I to do? Where am I to go? What school am I supposed to go to? What job am I supposed to have? What woman or what, what man am I supposed to marry? You know, th- those are the big ones, but there's lots of others, right? <laughs> you know, should I keep my dog? Should I just give my dog away? I've got to keep my dog because I love my little dog. I better stop there, okay? But, but, we sit, but there's this gift of hearing God, right? The counsel of the Lord stands forever. You can count on it. It's dependable. The plans of his heart. Isn't this really great here in verse 11? The plans of his heart to all generations. God wants to speak to us, and he wants to say something good to us because he loves us. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Oh, we need to pray for our land. We need to pray. Because as much as I love the United States, our country has lost its way. It's, t- it's, b- it's a bad situation, friends. Blesses the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So, God has spoken. He spoke in the Old Testament, sure. But he's spoken in the person of Jesus Christ in profound ways. You know what he's he's saying to you and me today? He's saying, I forgive you. I love you. Come and spend time with me. Come to me. This is why we have Holy Communion. Because it's not the preacher's voice. It is not the preacher's voice. 
that you already hear. Now, it's fine as a preacher that I, on some level, represent the words of God, give the words of God. But we all need the word of God. And so Jesus gave us Holy Communion as an ongoing, continual word to us because he wants to speak to you and me today. All who are here are welcome to come and partake in Holy Communion. We believe that Holy Communion is a saving sacrament in the sense that God speaks to us and is moving us away from sin and to himself. Is that supposed to be up there? Kids may leave for Children's Church? I don't think so. I don't think so. Is that right? Okay. There you go. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your table, we want to hear from you. We want to hear you say the very words that we need to hear. Now, it may be, Lord, that there are things that people are dealing with. It could be a health issue. It could be a loss to loved one. It could be about somebody who's a friend who's not walking with you at this time. Uh, it could be a confession of, of sin that, hey, that maybe this individual hasn't been walking with you and wants to get back in relationship with you. Uh, we need that kind of help, and we need guidance. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us in this sacrament. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come upon this bread and come upon this cup. You'd fill it up with, with you. We don't claim to understand how it all works. We just know that you're here. You're in the bread, in the cup, in the people, in this place. So we thank you that you're here. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.